0: Hello everyone. Thank you very much for joining us today. My name is Susie Gelman and I'm privileged to serve as the board chair of Israel Policy Forum. Welcome to those of you joining Israel Policy Forum for the first time today. And welcome back to our returning viewers. Today's webinar and all of Israel Policy Forum's public programs are made possible by the generous support of our donors. So I want to thank our current and future supporters on today's call. Because of you, we've been able to reach tens of thousands of policymakers, community leaders, journalists, and many, many others over the past year. I encourage you to make your first gift or renew your support by visiting our website at israelpolicyforum.org forward slash giving. Before we get into today's program, I'd like to briefly update you on Israel Policy Forum's plans going forward. We've been proud to bring regular virtual programming since the onset of the pandemic last year. As we head into the summer, we're optimist- optimistically looking forward to a gradual transition back to in-person programming. At the same time, we wanna keep on providing you with digital quality digital content with all of the greater accessibility this format affords. To that end, we will be continuing to host webinars twice a month, So the next program after today's will take place on Tuesday, May 11th. Beyond this, we're also pleased to announce a partnership between Israel Policy Forum's weekly podcast, Israel Policy Pod, and Terrestrial Jerusalem, covering all things Jerusalem, which is, of course, relevant to today's discussion. Be on the lookout for the first episode of that new series in the coming days, as well as future installments in the coming months. I hope you'll tune in. Now on to today's program. In the past month, Israel has witnessed escalating inter-ethnic violence between Jews and Arabs, coming to a head last Thursday night with a far-right riot in Jerusalem and attacks directed against Palestinian residents of the city. To help us better understand this sequence of events, we're really fortunate to be joined by Lior Shilat. Lior is Director General at the Jerusalem Institute for Policy Research. He has over 25 years of experience in policy and business having served in the prime minister's office under Ariel Sharon, as content manager of the steering committee for Shimon Peres' Facing Tomorrow conference, and as liaison for international financial institutions for the Israeli embassy in Washington. So with that, Lior, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. With pleasure. So Lior, um, last week's riots did not take place in a vacuum. There have been other attacks against Palestinians and Israeli Arabs, and before that attacks by Palestinians and Israeli Arabs against Israeli Jews, particularly Haredim leading up to this. In what way, if at all, are these events connected?
1: Well, I think that uh, even if uh, to start with those events were not connected, the the media, and of course the social media uh, made them connected. So so let's try and have a look a bit of, of what happened here in the last few weeks so we can understand the, the sequence and, and then try to answer your question. First of all, the events started parallel in, in two places. One was Jerusalem, and, and we'll discuss uh, Jerusalem uh, today. But in parallel to Jerusalem, there was an event in Jaffa that uh, got uh, less of the media coverage outside of Israel, but actually, I, w- I might say even more uh, media coverage here in, in Israel. And it was when two uh, people from a yeshiva in the middle of Jaffa were uh, going to see a building right next to the building of their yeshiva, uh, probably, or from what I understood, in order to purchase it or, or to try to purchase it, and were, uh, and were assaulted uh, by two people that apparently lived in, in that uh, building. That uh, brought to an outbreak of, uh, of violence in Jaffa, and parallel to that, to an outbreak of, uh, how, how would I describe uh, violence over over uh, social media uh, around the, this area, and, and of course, uh, we need to remember that the political uh, situation in Israel is already uh, very, uh, very problematic, very volatile as we speak. So of course, uh, it, left and right, each one took their place, and, and we need to remember, and probably we'll discuss it uh, longer later, that uh, that for the first time in, in history, we have here a special political situation between an Arab party, and actually a an, 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 an Muslim Arab party, or, or an Arab party that uh, is trying to represent the, the Muslim Brotherhood, on one hand, and the Likud, the right-wing party, on the other hand. So all of this... Uh, became, uh, you know, part of the reasons why what happened in Jaffa became uh, so volatile. That's to start with. Parallel to that, we, as we all know, uh, we're in the beginning of the Ramadan, the, the month of uh, fasting for the Muslims all over the world. It started on um, April thirteen. And uh, in that day the Israeli police decided that in the square outside of the Nablus gate or in Hebrew Babel Amud in Arabic, uh, people will not be allowed to sit as they did in the, in, for years. okay? They put some kind of barricades over there and they used them to uh, assist people to walk uh, into the uh, temple Mount, Al-Aqsa Mosque, for the prayers, but they did not allow them to sit there. And this, uh, this act was perceived by the youth, or the Palestinian youth of East Jerusalem, as ca- some kind of a provocation by uh, the Israeli uh, police, and um, started uh, riots by uh, Palestinians in East Jerusalem around the Nablus, uh, the Nablus Gate. And and it should be said that the Nablus Gate is the city square of uh, of uh, East Jerusalem. Meaning when you think of the most central place in East Jerusalem, that's not the, the Temple Mount, it's actually the Nablus Gate, uh, that's where the central bus stations are, that's where most of the commerce uh, is, that's also the main route towards uh, the Al-Aqsa Mount, uh, sorry, the Al-Aqsa on the Temple Mount, so clearly that's a location that has a lot of uh, importance, and, and those riots uh, advance, so that's we had Jaffa, we had the uh, Damascus Gate, sorry, the English name, I apologize, the English the, the name is Damascus Gate. That's Damascus what I
0: thought, yeah, okay.
1: Damascus Gate is a translation from, from Hebrew, so yes. now uh, Damascus Gate in, in English, Shem in Hebrew and Bab El Amud in Arabic. Uh, and the third uh, the third reason why, why we arrived to what you described before is what was called by the Israeli media the TikTok terror. Uh, on TikTok, on the social network of uh, TikTok, uh, an Arab uh, boy, a Palestinian boy, 20, uh, not boy, a youngster, 21 years old from the neighborhood of uh, Bet Hanina in the north of Jerusalem, published a, a movie in which he is slapping a Haredi uh, child. Or, Uh, around 15, 16 years old, on the light rail of Jerusalem. He actually approached him, slapped him and then ran away. Uh, This uh, TikTok movie brought to a number of copycats, uh, Arab uh, youngsters that went into uh, Jews, mainly uh, Haredim or with the religious appearance, and either slap them spit on them throw uh, a hot coffee on them took it uh, took a, a movie of that on tiktok and then uh, ran away so you understand that when we add Jaffa and Damascus gate and this uh, tiktok uh, attacks you understand why situation here became uh, very very volatile and that's the background to what happened on lessons let's
0: okay uh Thank you. I I said I promised
1: it's interesting here. Yeah,
0: it definitely is interesting. Uh, There's also a Chinese curse using that word. Um, So, could you, that was the lead up to what happened Thursday night. Could you describe, summarize what happened on Thursday night in Jerusalem and have things calmed down since then or have they continued to heat up?
1: Okay, so what happened was that. Because of this, uh, because of what happened in Jaffa, we saw similar events in some other mixed cities uh, in the center of Israel, mainly in the cities of Lod and Ramle, which also have a relatively big uh, Arab population. And parallel to that, because of uh, what happened in, in on TikTok, and of course what happened on TikTok, both. Uh, a lot of appearance also on Israeli, on Israeli uh, on Israel media and social media. A uh, uh, groups, uh, Jewish groups, on Wednesday started organizing walking in the streets of Jerusalem, mainly in Jaffa Street, the main street of, uh, of uh, let's call it West Jerusalem, hitting uh, Palestinian uh, people, looking for Palestinian people. Once they got them, they started hitting them. Also hitting some, uh, some media people. Including uh, two that that, uh, broadcast live their beating. Uh, And of course, again, parallel to that, the events in the Damascus Gate are going on. Uh, So that happened on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, an organization called uh, Lehava, which we can discuss, but um, an extreme right wing uh, organization he published or called all his supporters for a, a parade that uh, its aim, as they describe it, was bringing back Jewish pride. And then they wanted to walk from, the, uh, from Jaffa Street towards the Damascus uh, Gate, hoping to create some kind of a conflict with the Arabs that are, with the Palestinians that are on the Damascus Gate. So we have those two camps that are approaching towards uh, each other. One in uh, Jaffa Street, the other one in Damascus Gate. Uh, Unlike what happened on Wednesday in which the police was not organized at all to prevent the the riots on on Jaffa Street. uh, On on Thursday, the police was actually very fast to interfere. They uh, brought some blockades, uh, some barricades, sorry, to to the middle of the way between uh, between Jaffa Street and Damascus Gate, and they just blocked all the the Jews that came from from the West City towards Damascus Gate. At the same time, a taxi driver, a Jewish taxi driver was sitting in his taxi on Vadijoz, which is a neighborhood not very far from uh, Damascus uh, Gate. He was, uh, the the mob of people that was there realized that he is Jewish. They took him out of the taxi and they started beating him and they put his uh, taxi on fire. Uh, Eventually, uh, he managed to escape with the help of some uh, older people, uh, older Palestinians that uh, were there. And of course, the pictures of him being beaten almost to death by the, the Palestinian mob, of course, were published also, Uh, all over the media and and, and as you can imagine that didn't bring the, uh, didn't calm the situation. Uh, So that's how we stood on on Thursday and it's really looked on Thursday like we are on on the edge of of some kind of, I would not say civil war, but maybe some kind of another period of conflict like the one that we saw here in in 2014. Uh, That was the moment in which I think uh, the grown, grown up people from both sides understood that, that this is going to go to a very problematic uh, situation. So uh, both our mayor, uh, the police and also people from both communities uh, understood that this is the time to, to make action. Uh, the police decided eventually to remove the barricade from the Damascus Gate uh, Square. Uh, there were also strong discussion with the leaders of the Jewish mob, those people that were walking towards Damascus Gate, uh, coming them uh, down. And uh, there was also strong police activity against all the people that published those movies on, on TikTok. So, the accumulation of all these events uh, and, and a lot of support of the municipality for more positive cultural activities. Uh, in the evenings of Ramadan, uh, the police, again, that, that decided to move the barricade, et cetera, et cetera, brought in the situation that yesterday was a relatively calm night around the, the Damascus gate. And hopefully that would be the, the situation until the end of Ramadan on the 13th of May.
0: Leo, you mentioned lahava, which obviously instigated a lot of Thursday's violence. Could you please tell our audience who? What is this organization? Who are they? What's their ideology, and what kind of presence do they have in Jerusalem?
1: So Lehava, Lehava is uh, initials of uh, of uh, preventing assimilation in the Holy Land. That's the that's the name. It's an organization that was uh, established by Benziguperstein, which is a kach a, a student of uh, Rabbi Kahana. Uh, Mayor Kahana and a Kah activist, when Kah uh, became outlawed a few years ago, he, all of them, or all the activists, were looking for other ways to uh, to uh, do their activities. So he established this organization. the The purpose or the main goal of this organization is to prevent, uh, let's call them, interreligious uh, marriage between uh, a Muslim men and a Jewish uh, girl. They are saying that it's not it has to do only with Muslims; that they're also active uh, against uh, marriage of uh, Jewish women with uh, with other uh, with people from other ethnicities and and religion. But have it either way. We're talking about an organization that its main goal or its the, the main motto is pride. Okay, Jewish pride. They are the guardians of the Jewish pride, and, and they are standing behind some uh, activities against uh, against uh, Arab people uh, in jewish neighborhoods all around the world all around the israel sorry they are also the the most uh, vocal opposer to the pride parade here in the here in uh, in jerusalem um and, and and again they're not just active in jerusalem they're active all over israel now what was interesting in in the lehava parade on on Thursday from, from people that were there, is that uh, Le'Avah was established as an organization of the extreme right wing in Israel, which is mainly, not only, but mainly the extreme right wing of the Tilumi public here in Israel. The, I might say modern Orthodox, although it's not of course the uh, the best uh, the best translation from the Tloumi, uh, the national religious group. However, in the last few years, there was a turn inside the activists of Lehavah. And as I mentioned, the people that were there in the demonstration told me that actually most of the people that were there were Haredin, okay, ultra-Orthodox. Okay, Now, we're not talking, of course, about people that are in, in the top yeshivot of the ultra-Orthodox uh, population. We're talking about uh, people that dropped from uh, the yeshiva, and they're looking for other meaning in their life. And apparently the leadership of Lehava is doing a very good job in recruiting those people to the ranks of Lehava. So uh, to the level that in this uh, in the riots on, on, on Wednesday and in the demonstration on uh, or the parade in, on uh, Thursday, most of the people were dressed as Haredim, uh, which was very surprising for people that do not follow Lehava in the last few years. Yeah.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about the response of the Israeli authorities and the Jerusalem municipal government to last Thursday's riot? I mean, you touched on it, but if you could go into a little more detail. And I thought I saw a news report out of Israel that there had been a request to deny a permit to march. Um, I think the request of the municipality and I believe the response was that they they couldn't uh, prevent the permit. So I don't know if I got that right or not. But could you talk a little bit about the official response?
1: Well, I don't know about the march. It, it does make sense that if a, a group of people want to protest and, and do the march, they will get some kind of permission. And, and at the end, they walked very. They didn't walk that much. Okay, they were blocked uh, right when they were getting close to the Arab side of the of the city. Uh, so I spoke a little bit about the the police and the police response. In the beginning, they they respond in a very aggressive way. In the beginning of the of the. This conflict that we're describing, that we're discussing, they uh, they reacted in a very aggressive way. Uh, some some observer might say uh, too aggressive. Uh, also, they were pushed strongly by uh, by politicians, by Israeli members of method from the right wing, to react more assertively or more aggressively against uh, what happened uh, on uh, on TikTok, uh, against those movies that I uh, described and the municipality at least in the beginning was silent okay we didn't see from the municipality the kind of leadership that we would ex- expect that was in in the beginning of those uh, of these events after thursday as i mentioned before the situation changed completely first of all the police understood that they need together with the stick also to to use some kind of a, of a carrot so uh, they said they started the uh, in uh, process of uh, discussion with the leadership, the Palestinian leadership in, in East Jerusalem, parallel to that, the municipality that actually is doing a lot of work in East Jerusalem. This, uh, this municipality is, I think, the municipality that is investing the most and this mayor in particular is, one, is the mayor that is investing a lot of his time, energy and, and resources in uh, on East Jerusalem. So they understood that actually they have the tools in order to, to prevent and they spread a lot of activity and also the spread of resources to create, uh, let's call them positive cultural activity. One of the best examples when we speak about uh, Jerusalem is capoeira. Capoeira is a, is a kind of um, of a dance in uh, Brazilian, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not an expert on that. And uh, You're not going to
0: demonstrate for us? Not now. <laughs> okay. Uh,
1: and uh, and there are a lot of kapoora uh, activities that involve both uh, israeli and palestinians here in uh, in jerusalem so uh, so all of the sudden uh, yesterday instead of the on, on the damascus gate uh, square instead of rioting and people demonstrating and and all those clashes between police and and demonstrators you saw people dancing Kapoera, jews and arabs doing it together and that's definitely a completely different view than what we got used to see there in the last uh, week or two so that's one example for the activity of the municipality uh, the mayor held uh, some meetings with the leaders from both sides trying to to calm the situation it's too early to say that this uh, conflict is behind us and if i may um, if i may predict even if we're talking about uh, a calming down of the situation until the end of Ramadan, we'll still see riots. We might still see conflict, especially between uh, Arab youth and people that uh, that, uh, that dress like uh, Haredim. Uh, This situation would not calm down uh, at least for the next uh, few weeks. However, definitely a situation in which we have some sporadic events is not what we saw last week, so let's hope that that would be the worst of it because it's still very tangible here.
0: Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about the Palestinian response, particularly from Hamas? As you know very well, there was significant rocket fire from Gaza into Israel this past weekend. Could events in Jerusalem contribute to a new conflict between Israel and Hamas? Of
1: course, that's the the charm of Jerusalem it affects all over the world. And exactly as as you uh, in the US are very worried when you hear the news uh, about Jerusalem, there are people all over the world that react to Jerusalem. Unfortunately, some of them are are very negative elements like uh, Hamas, that of course uh, jumped on the opportunity after a a very long period of quiet in the South. They jumped on the opportunity to use uh, what happened in Jerusalem as an excuse for their terror acts against the the people of of uh, the south of Israel, shooting for few nights, shooting a few rounds of uh, rockets. We know that Jerusalem uh, is um, is the center of uh, of every activity that is happening around the around here in the Middle East, mainly as an excuse, if I may say saying, not that I underestimate, of course, the religious feelings, but but here let's remember we're talking about conflicts that were very local in their nature, yet were used by, uh, by Hamas to shoot those rockets. I think that, of course, like uh, every time when Hamas is choosing to shoot rockets on, on Israel, there were also a lot of political uh, reasons for that. Hamas is dealing with a lot of pressure in, in Gaza. There is an upcoming Palestinian election in in May that may or may not happen. So definitely, Hamas wanted to show its strength, and they were just using what happened in Jerusalem for that. Um,
0: I, we have a number of questions from the audience, but I do want to remind people: please, uh, if you have a question, type it in the Q and A box. Um, Lior, it's been reported that recently elected member of Knesset Itamar Ben-Gvir from the Otzma-Yudid faction is an active participant in the social media channels used to plan the violent actions last week. How do you feel the current political climate in which Kahanis have been normalized by none other than the prime minister himself contributes to events like last week's riot?
1: Okay, so first of all, it should be mentioned that Bensi Kupersen, the leader of Lehava that we discussed before was actually a candidate to Knesset on the Otzmai list. And uh, in a decision of our Supreme Court, it was decided that he cannot run for Knesset because of his uh, racist activity. So Itamar Benver is actually in, in the same party as, uh, as Benzi Gupershteyn and Lea is very strongly connected to Otzmai And they're both coming originally from the students of, uh, of uh, Mayor Kahana. Um, definitely, what we see here is not a positive phenomenon. When, when Mayor Kahana was elected to the Knesset in the '80s, when he came to the podium to speak, the entire, uh, the entire meaning, the other 119 members of Knesset just left, including, of course, all the members of right wing. Meaning, the the approach was that the racist cannot be treated as a as a normal member of Knesset. Uh, I, I didn't see Ben-Gvir uh, speaking yet in the Knesset, but I can uh, guess that when he would speak, most of the members of the Knesset would, uh, would stay. And that's definitely not something that is a, is a good sign on uh, what's happening uh, here in Israel. Also, the fact that, that Ben-Gvir ran together with, uh, with uh, other two lists, one of them led by our former Minister of Transportation, is uh, not a good sign and the fact that, that our Prime Minister encouraged people to vote for that list because it was part of his bloc, part of his coalition, shows that, that what used to be um, red lines in Israel of the 80s are not red lines anymore. It should be said that Ben-Gvir, unlike uh, Guperstein and, and other members of Otsmayo did, was not disqualified by the Supreme Court meaning while the Supreme Court decided not to let uh, other people on his list to run to the Knesset, uh, they did allow uh, him to run for the Knesset, and that's something that should be said, meaning apparently, according to our Supreme Court, the situation with Benver is not the situation of Gouper and and other people, members of, other members of Uh, of uh The Jerusalem riot
0: comes on the heels of a period of tension surrounding the status quo on the Temple Mount. Is there a connection between this issue and the riot and other violence in recent weeks or might one develop?
1: Uh, I am not aware of a special tension on the Temple Mount, more than usual, yes. Uh, In the last few weeks, it's true that because the restrictions here are lowered because of the, of the decrease in, in COVID-19 cases, of course conflicts that were put to sleep a bit in the in the last year or so are awakening, and, and and you see more and more people that are coming to pray on the Temple Mount from the Muslim side. Of course, uh, in, in, in ten days. We'll have Laylat al Kadeh, which is the the biggest event in Jerusalem. A quarter of a million uh, people would come, uh, Muslims would come to pray on the Temple Mount. And on the other hand, of course, we see more and more tourists and Jews, or uh, tourists and and, and Jews that are uh, uh, going up to the Temple Mount. And and that's definitely something that, that could bring some kind of a awakening of tensions that, that were there. However, right now, uh, I, don't see, uh, I, I don't see something special on the Temple Mount. Of course, it could wake up because of what's happening on Damascus Gate. But while usually you see tension on, on, on the Temple Mount and then you see demonstration on Damascus Gate, here the situation is completely different. The Damascus Gate is the center or the epic center of all the events that we were seeing. While the Temple Mount is relatively quiet, also the police is, is of course, uh, deploying in in very uh, uh, high tension or or strong powers all over the Temple Mount during Ramadan. And, and should remember that uh, the 10th of May is the Jerusalem Liberation Day. Uh, so we have Ramadan and we have the Jerusalem Liberation Day on the same day, and clearly those are events that when, when they coincide uh, brings a lot of tension. So right now the situation in the Temple Mount seems under control.
0: Well, hopefully that will continue. Uh, uh, Jerusalem, of course, is important and sensitive to Muslim states, uh, the Temple Mount being just the embodiment of that, but not only. The UAE, which recently sent an ambassador to Tel Aviv, having only established relations with Israel last year, condemned the Jerusalem riot. Is there a potential for events in Jerusalem to harm Israel's relations with the wider Muslim and Arab world?
1: Of course, as as we spoke before, the Arab world never accept the fact that Israel is in control uh, over the the Temple Mount. And while, the last few years brought uh, very good news on the front of uh, relations between Israel and some of the Arab countries, that doesn't say that they are not worried or very sensitive when it comes to the, to the Temple Mount. So we saw this, uh, this reaction by the United Arab Emirates when it came to the riots on, on East Jerusalem. I don't know. I think it's too early in the relationship between the two countries to try and understand how big is the effect of events in Jerusalem on this relationship. And I think it also has to do with the leadership on both sides. So we'll just have to wait and and learn as relations develop. We do know that when it comes to Jordan, another Arab country uh, which we have relations for very long time, and uh, this is, is, of course, a very, very sensitive uh, situation. And whenever there are events in the Temple Mount, sometimes there are events in the Temple Mount that you don't even hear about them in Israeli media, but you get uh, a, 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 some kind of a reaction from the Jordanian, uh, from the either the king of, or the minister of foreign affairs. So clearly, Jerusalem has this effect also on the relationship with other Muslim countries. I think it's too early to call what exactly would be the role of all kinds of sensitivities, not just in Jerusalem, but in general of the sensitivities that had to do with the conflict on this uh, relationship.
0: So thank you, Leo. I'm going to turn to some audience questions. We have several in the queue. I'll try to get to as many as I can. Uh, So first, a couple of questions uh, along the same lines. Linda geller Schwartz asked, did the police explain why they closed the Damascus Gate area at the beginning of Ramadan? And Marcy Helfand similarly asked, who would have given the order to close Damascus Gate? And again, why did they do this in the first place? Okay, so
1: first of all, they did not close the Damascus Gate, of course. What they did is that they did not allow people to sit in the square, okay? So imagine the square is like a a theater or an amphitheater. Going from, from outside of the city towards the old city, outside of the old city towards the old city, and there are stairs there, and they just didn't allow people to sit on the on the stairs. This is a wide, it's a relatively big uh, right. square. Who gave the order? I, I don't know. I guess the order was uh, originally given by the commander of the Jerusalem uh, county in the Israeli police, maybe with the approval of the of the chief of staff of the of the police. Uh, and why did they do it? That's, that's interesting. I don't know. Uh, in the beginning, they they said that it has to do with COVID-19, although, as I mentioned, the situation in Israel is, is, is quite good. Actually, it's very good when it comes to COVID-19 restrictions, so that sounds a bit weird. Later, they said that they always did it, meaning that always during Ramadan, they do it just to manage the big amount of people that are going in and out of the old city. But uh, some reporters brought uh, pictures of the Ramadan in previous years and in which there were no barricades and people were allowed to sit. And eventually they just withdraw, meaning they just decided to stop uh, doing that or stop uh, deploying those barricades and allow people to sit on on the stairs. Mm -hmm. So I cannot say exactly what was the reason. I must say that uh, the fact that Israel is doing something and then is deciding to stop doing that because of pressure is not a smart move in my eyes. However, in Hebrew we have an expression, I'm sure you have it in English too, that uh, a smart person would know how to get out of of a situation that the wiser person would never go in or would never, Involving stuff So that's a classic uh, situation uh, like that. Uh, they should not have put the barricade in the first place. Taking them out was probably the best choice they have, but it was not a very smart choice.
0: Okay. So Howard Samka asks, um, he refers to a Times of Israel story today that attributes the large and increasing number of Haredi school dropouts uh, as a big contributor to the violence on the Jewish-Israeli side. Do you agree with that?
1: Absolutely, I mentioned it before. The, yeah. As I said, the main, the main fuel to the Lehava uh, engine and, and to all the riots that we had here in uh, on Wednesday and Thursday came from from dropout from the Haredi, Haredi society. We need to understand Jerusalem has the largest Haredi society in Israel, uh, almost quarter of a million out of a million uh, Haredim all over Israel, so a quarter of the total number of Haredim here. The Haredi society is the characteristic by a a huge number of of children, more the the average age uh, would be around 18. So more than half of the Haredim in in Jerusalem are actually below the age of of 18. And of course, not all of them fit the, the traditional Haredi education system of studying uh, Talmud uh, for an entire day and some of them just drop out and since there are not many organizations or systems or solutions for those people they just find themselves in the street now they keep the Haredi appearance when you see them on the street you recognize them as Haredim however they adopt all kind of behavior which does not fit the Haredim. And everyone that knows a little bit of the ultra-Orthodox uh, narrative understand how weird it is that, uh, that Haredim are involved in riots against Arabs. It's completely against the, the basic narrative of the Haredi society. And yet you find them there. We need to remember, uh, we are after a year of COVID-19 restriction. And that's also a reason, I didn't mention it in the beginning, should be mentioned, that also those people that are dropout and found themselves sometimes literally in the streets uh, and for a year did not find themselves in any kind of of a frame, in any kind of system that would support them, all of a sudden feeling free. And, and, and the feeling here in Israel, is like we, we went out from slavery out to freedom. It's not always good in the sense that some of those people translate this uh, freedom as freedom also to do stuff that you should not do, uh, including legal actions. And that's also part of this, uh, this turbulence that we're seeing in the last few days.
0: As a follow up, Leo, because I thought you made a really interesting point about how violence against Arabs is completely countered to Haredi behaviors and beliefs and principles. What is the Haredi leadership doing in, in light of the participation by by Haredi youth in these riots? Are they doing anything?
1: Well, that was also a very interesting point. It, uh, so, the first react we were the, the leadership of the Dacharidid. The Dacharidid are the most extreme group within the Haredi society, those that do not take money from Israel, do not pay taxes for Israel, and even actually don't want to have anything to do with the the State of Israel. And they were the first one to condemn uh, the attacks. After they condemned it, there was also condemnation by some leaders, some Muslim leaders that condemned the activities on the Muslim side, which was also interesting and and not something that you typically see in Israel. I saw one movie in which uh, one of the, the top Muslim leaders here in Jerusalem, he was uh, was uh, he was talking about one of those TikTok movies in which a, a Muslim uh, young boy is throwing coffee at the face of a Haredi man, and he said that this thing has nothing to do with Islam. It's exactly the opposite of of the way you should behave. And then the leadership of Mir, which is a mainstream Haredi yeshiva, also condemned the the situation. Now we need to remember the effect that those leaders have on the dropouts, on those youngsters that are on the street, is not very big. However, there was uh, some kind of an atmosphere that I think led also to, to those elements coming down because they saw that also the Haredi leaders and parallel to that the Muslim leaders are condemning the, the attacks and the riots.
0: Related question from David Reisman. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Was the Palestinian Authority involved in any way in reducing tensions?
1: Not that I'm aware uh, Actually, on the contrary, I meaning we saw some speech by leaders, by Palestinian leaders that are supporting the demonstrators and, and saying, of course, we we'll would never give up uh, our cause. Uh, I was not, I am not aware, it does not mean that it didn't happen, but I'm not aware of any activity by the PA to try to calm the situation. It should be said that the effect of the PA on what's happening in Jerusalem is mainly declarative. Uh, Meaning in the last few years, we saw that there is not much connection between the leaderships in in Ramallah and what's happening in the Palestinian streets here or in the East Jerusalem streets.
0: So we have a question from Michael Goldstein. What's the rationale for Palestinians attacking Haredim, who generally are not Zionists and don't serve in the IDF?
1: I think it's the appearance. First of all, we need to remember, I, I, I have no way how to, to translate the word pushtak from Hebrew to, to English. I'm not sure, Susie, so even it, it's a slang word. But it basically means those those uh, those Arabs that, that were doing those Palestinian youngsters that were doing what they're doing. They are also dropouts, just just on, from the Palestinian side. Meaning those are the kind of uh, people that, that or the kind of youngsters that find themselves without any without any system or, or frame and uh, and. They are now bullying Haredim, but they can bully at the same time people from their own uh, from their own group. Uh, it should be mentioned that parallel to the events on, on Damascus Gate and, and on Jaffa Street, there were two uh, Palestinians that were killed by Palestinians in Jerusalem. One of them was a 21-year-old that was shot to death while standing in her porch during, uh, during some kind of a fight between two families in the neighborhood of Wadi Joz, and the other one was a 17-year-old boy, or youngster that was uh, stabbed to death by a 14-year-old in the Shu'afat refugee camp. Uh, So this is the background. We're we're in the midst of a lot of tension in the Palestinian street. I mentioned COVID-19, and there are, of course, lots of economic activity that affects also young people uh, that needs to support sometimes their uh, their families, and and of course also we need to remember that we are in a process in which there is more and more money in East Jerusalem, meaning people are getting better jobs, education getting better, and we know that when those events happen, it also uh, ironically brings also a rise in crime. We see it very strongly in the Arab-Israeli society. There were twenty-three people that were murdered in the Arab-Israeli towns and villages in Israel since the beginning of 2021. And unfortunately, we see how when people advance from from poverty into middle class, it also comes with with the rise in, in crime, unless you prevent it. So this is the framework, okay? We're talking about criminals or criminal elements, and they are tunneling their criminality towards Haredim when they see them, but they also tunnel it inside when they are inside the, their neighborhoods. It's easier to recognize a Haredi as a, as a Jew rather than um, a secular Jew. So that's also one reason and Haredim are a symbol.
0: Can I ask also just as a follow up Leo, um, the proximity of Me'a Sharim? to the old city and the fact that, you know, Haredim obviously regularly go to pray at the Kotel. So there's, I'm guessing more interaction on a general basis between Haredim and East Jerusalem uh, Palestinians than other Israeli Jews. Is that a fair comment? That yeah.
1: And we also saw that the lines of friction were mainly the areas in which Haredi neighborhood and and Palestinian neighborhood are are very close, like uh, north of the old city. Uh, Most of the Haredi neighborhood in Jerusalem are in the northwest of the city. And when they go to the Kotel, they go towards, meaning they go through the Damascus Gate. That's the main road leading from the Haredi neighborhood, Mea but not just Mea all the, the Haredi block of uh, Northwest uh, Jerusalem to to the Kotel. So definitely there is a lot of, uh, of friction there.
0: By the way, one of our audience members, Elias Ruchwarg, uh, Ruchwarg sorry, says a stock is a thug. <laughs> That's the ah. translation, thug. Okay, so not quite an arse, but similar. Um, Joanne Mort has a related question about uh, the Palestinian neighborhoods. Uh, she says, asks, aren't the underlying issues that cause also the housing and land seizures by the municipality in the Palestinian neighbors neighborhoods, sorry, like Sheikh Jara, Wadi Joz, etc., which are ongoing as well as attacks on both cultural and political leadership in the Palestinian community that has left the Palestinians in East Jerusalem without authentic leadership or agency to allow them to feel protected and able to live useful lives? Wow. It's a a big question. Did you get it all? There's a lot in it.
1: It's a big question, but I would say that everything that was described is the background for the tension, but it's not the main cause or the immediate cause for the tension. Clearly, uh, from a a political point of view, the people of East Jerusalem, the the Palestinians living in East Jerusalem, most of them see themselves under occupation and what was described here were phenomena that, that are perceived by the Palestinian. we can agree or disagree, but are perceived by the Palestinian as, as phenomena that are part of being under the occupation. But this didn't change in the last two weeks. I mean, it was the situation three months ago, and, and probably it would be the situation in six or eight months. Uh, actually, what came to the news uh, a few weeks before. Was when a few Jewish family entered some houses in the neighborhood of Silwan, but those were not houses that were seized; those were houses that were purchased. So it's, it, it, we cannot connect immediate, uh, immediately what happened uh, in Silwan or in Sheikh jarraf to what happened in the Damascus Gate. Again, from a Palestinian point of view, it's part of the background; it's part of living under the Israeli occupation, and, and clearly. And some of the people would would use those as reasons for for what happened in the last two weeks.
0: We have a question from Nancy Kaplan, who uh, notes that United Torah Judaism blamed Netanyahu for encouraging this, which UTJ felt costed at least one seat in the Knesset. She asks, there seems to be a trend of a breakdown in authority in the Haredi community. Do you agree? Uh, the Haredi community, which
1: was few tens of thousands 60 or 50 years ago, is now, as I mentioned, more than a million people. And clearly, the mechanisms that were used to control few tens of thousands cannot be used anymore when, when we approach more than, than a million people. Uh, it's a fascinating story, meaning I, I'm not sure it's it's part of the mandate of the Israeli Voice Forum, but discussing what's happening in the Haredi society in the last 10 years and trying to predict what would happen in the next 10 years is one of the most fascinating uh, phenomenon that are happening in Israel and probably one of the main reasons to everything that would happen in Israel in the next 20 or 30 years. So again, I, I can speak about it more and more. But eventually, yes, the answer is yes. Uh, clearly, the, the control mechanism are problematic. You see more and more, uh, you see a, a real crisis in leadership. More and more people that do not accept the traditional leadership. Some of them are going towards more and more integration with Israel, and the other are going uh, to the other way. It should be mentioned that from the point of view of those dropouts that are in Lehavah, they are part of the people that are going towards the integration. Meaning for them, showing um, what we would perceive as racism towards the Arabs is actually their uh, way to to show their nationality, the way to show their patriotism, the way to show their connection to Israel, which is not what they grew up on in in the Haredi society. So I'm trying to explain how complex, uh, psychologically, is this, uh, sociologically, is this uh, situation in the Haredi streets? And again, I think the most fascinating phenomenon in, in Israel in the last 10 years and in the next 10 years.
0: Uh, Len Schneiderman asks, how do the several conflicts you discussed relate to the national political scene?
1: Well, of course, we cannot ignore the fact that Israel does not have um, a real government for more than two years now a functioning government for more than two years now. There is a government uh, and until the last election it was even a normal government for almost a year. Uh, However, it was not a functioning one. Uh, The fights between the prime minister and the alternate prime minister uh, affected the the way the the government uh, acted the way or did not act. Uh, And there is a lot of... uh, tension, political tension in social media, regular media, and, of course, also in our parliament. And that has some kind of effect. It's very hard to measure how much effect the political situation has on riots on people that do not see themselves as part of the of the political terrain in Israel. Mind you that, that the East Jerusalem, unlike the Israeli Arabs, are not or do not participate and cannot participate since they're, uh, they're not uh, the they're residents, they're not citizens. They cannot participate in the Israeli political, let's call it game. Uh, so I'm not sure how much is this effect, but, but clearly it, it shows some kind of weakness that is being translated by, by groups, both on the Palestinian and Jewish side, uh, maybe to feeling that you're more free to react as you want.
0: We have a question from Michael Ross. Can you review the controversies regarding which, if any, Jerusalem Arabs get to vote in the upcoming Palestinian elections, which may not occur anyway? And I'm seeing some reporting coming out of Israel that Egypt has been notified by the PA that it is postponing the May 22nd elections of the Palestinian National Council indefinitely because of the voting situation in East Jerusalem.
1: First of all, I did not see any declaration by the Israeli government whatsoever regarding the election in East Jerusalem. Uh, it seems that this whole game is happening between the Palestinians and, and themselves. Uh, from what I know, some people explain the, the, the reasons why uh, uh, Mahmoud Abbas wants to President Mahmoud Abbas or Chairman Abbas wants to uh, postpone the election with the fact that the, the, within the Fatah, within his own uh, party, there is a strong uh, opposition, and he's afraid that he might lose the election, not to the Hamas, but actually to to other group led by Mawan Barghouti within the, within the Fatah. I don't know if that's the reason, but again, when it comes to Jerusalem, and, and clearly I'm very sensitive to every declaration by the Israeli government about Jerusalem, I didn't see anything that says they would not vote. Uh, There were few campaigns since the PA was established in in 1995. There were few campaigns, uh, a few election campaigns uh, that involved the uh, voters of East Jerusalem. One was the one in which uh, Yasser Arafat was elected. The other one was the one in which Mahmoud Abbas was elected. And the third one was uh, for the parliament, the Palestinian parliament. Maybe there were two for the Palestinian parliament. And in all of those election campaigns, Palestinians of East Jerusalem voted either in the Palestinian towns that are border in Jerusalem or uh, people of old age and, and people with disabilities voted in the post offices uh, spread around the East Jerusalem. So there, there is a mechanism and this mechanism was agreed upon not only by, by the left-wing governments here, but also by right-wing governments. And to be honest, I'm not sure that uh, that was the main reason for postponing the election or that would be the main reason for officially postponing the the election. Again, I did not see any official declaration from Israel. It won't surprise me if if, uh, the Likud government would issue some kind of statement saying we would not let them vote in Jerusalem. However, it also would not surprise me if the opposite would happen. If they would say, listen, we have an agreement, we did it in the past, we have no problem that they would go to Dis or El Azaria or Aram, all those towns that are neighboring Jerusalem and vote there. I remind you that uh, the Netanyahu government uh, not po- adopted officially, but did adopt uh, de facto the President Trump's uh, plan in which uh, two Jerusalem neighborhoods, the Shurafat Refugee Camp and Kufar Aqab were supposed to become the capital of the Palestinian state. So clearly, or at least it seems reasonable that the, this government would not have a problem even if having having polling stations in those uh, two neighborhoods or at least in the towns that are outside the, on the borders of Jerusalem.
0: We have another question, uh, which is very much related to what's going on, what's happening on the ground in Jerusalem. Uh, earlier this month, the Jerusalem Local Planning Committee approved plans for 540 units in Har Homa in East Jerusalem building toward Givat Hamatos. What are the ramifications uh, of these plans? Because, of course, the tenders, I believe, have been approved for Givat Hamatos as well. What are the ramifications of these plans for Palestinian Jerusalemites and contiguity between East Jerusalem and the West Bank?
1: The the main effect would be that another 540 Jewish family would have homes. By the way, not necessarily Jewish Arabs can buy those uh, neighborhoods as well. Uh, I'm, you know, it's a good question because uh, it's been a long time since we dealt with the question of building in in uh, East Jerusalem, in Jewish neighborhoods in in East Jerusalem. We did not see uh, the Netanyahu government using the what, opportunity they had during the Trump administration. To build uh, in uh, East Jerusalem. And of course, building within the neighborhood, within those uh, Jewish neighborhoods in East Jerusalem continued. There are more than 200,000 uh, Jews living in East Jerusalem today, East Jerusalem in the, in the wider sense, meaning the area that was annexed to Israel in, in June of 1967, from uh, Ramot and Nevea Coven to in the north to Half Oman Gilo in the south. Uh, Givat was, was a bit uh, different because it was a new neighborhood, or it is a new neighborhood. There are some claims that are saying that Givat would disconnect the continuity between uh, Bethlehem in the south, outside of Jerusalem, and the neighborhood of Bet Safafa. Uh, so if there will be a will uh, to build a Palestinian uh, state in the future, uh, there will be a problem to connect Bet Safafa to Bethlehem because of Givat Amatos. I must say that I disagree with that, meaning geographically there is a way, or transportation-wise, there is a way to connect Bet Safafa to, a Givata, to a Bethlehem even after building Givat Amatos. And uh, there is also a bit of, uh, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of people that have a problem with the connecting an uh, Arab neighborhood of uh, 13,000 people, that's the number of people living in bet safafa towards one road, but had no problem that the 70,000 Jews that are living in Nevea, Coventus, God, there would be connected in one road as was uh, suggested in the Geneva or Geneva Court, for example. So we need to understand, of course, that, that there are sensitivities both ways. Halchoma is different. Because homa is is where it is but building east of Hal Homa would interrupt the the already interrupted the uh, continuity between Bethlehem and the uh, and the neighborhood of uh, Zubahir in East Jerusalem and that's a bit more complicated area however Hal humah is is exists meaning in al we already have 20,000 Jews almost the number of people living in Zubahir so that's a bit more uh, complicated uh, if we're talking that eventually in in the future there will be a two-state solution, and, and there should be a continuity between East Jerusalem and, and Bethlehem.
0: Leo, you know, this has been really fascinating. Unfortunately, we were, we're running out of time, but thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. I thought you made some, gave us some really great insight into what's going on, and, and also a little bit more about the Haredi community, and maybe we'll have to have you back another time to focus more on that, even though it's a little bit off of our our uh, focus at Israel Policy Forum. Um, Once again, I want to thank our supporters who are with us on today's call. Your generosity makes programs like this one possible. So again, if you've not yet done so, please consider making a contribution today at israelpolicyforum.org forward slash giving. Thank you all for joining us. Once more, I encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, Israel Policy Pod. Sign up to receive the weekly COPLO column in your email inbox. Comes out every Thursday, and visit our website to access recordings of our previous briefings. And be on the lookout for our new Israel Policy Pod Terrestrial Jerusalem podcast series beginning later this week. As a reminder, we're moving to twice-monthly uh, webinars, so please stay tuned for an announcement. Regarding our next video briefing, which will take place next Tuesday, May 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. So until then, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you soon. And Lior, it's good to see you. I hope to see you in Jerusalem in the not-too-distant future. Toda roba. Thank you,
1: Susie. Toda roba. It was great being here. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye.